0: Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Educational Leadership. This is episode 80. I'm your host, ID34, Isaiah Jerome III. Tonight's panelists are Buddy Thornton and Dr. Bethany Hernandez-Parks. Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people.
1: Good evening. Good evening. And uh, it's an honor to be here with my esteemed panel mate. And uh, I'm looking
0: forward to a lively discussion. And Dr. Hey, yeah. Bethany Hernandez-Parks, please say hello to the people.
2: I'm so excited, I jumped in early, sorry. Um, Yes, I'm very excited to be here as well and speaking with uh, you all about such an important topic.
0: We are excited as well. With that being said, tonight's topic is intelligence and psychological well-being in adolescents. Education is healthy for the soul. However, helping students find support systems are vital. their souls so we are dealt with the undertaking of teaching the whole child adolescence is seen as an ideal time in life to encourage the development of emotional capacities that contribute to individuals greater happiness George Herbert Mead said He's the founder of the symbolic interactionisms. He suggested that individuals construct the meaning and purpose of their world in a way that allows them to understand it. In doing so, they attach meaning to objects and symbols that help them make sense of the world that they live in. These objects or symbols suggest the perception of understanding and regulation of one's inner emotional intelligence that we either increase or decrease as it relates to a child's happiness and positive interactions. Studies revealed a need for universal Intervention techniques like these in schools, communities, and family settings that seek to avoid conflicts with peers and promote academic success strategies. Tonight, we will have a discussion about intelligence and psychological well-being in adolescence. First, I want to pull from Buddy Thornton. You know but we have you on here a lot because a lot of your research is tied into these topics uh, It's not that we you know just love you so much but uh, you know as a researcher what you are doing in your field is, is so aligned to a lot of these topics that we have been discussing and so you know why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're doing currently
1: Thank you for the prompt, Isaiah. Uh, Before I go uh, into uh, any crazy bio, uh, I want everyone to understand that as a parent and life coach, which is my passion and my love, uh, I get a lot of my uh, impetus from the fact that I'm already a great-grandfather. I have four adult children, 10 adult grandchildren, and eight great-grandchildren. Uh, obviously that means I've got people in my down tree that are in various uh, stages of development in their life cycle and they give me a huge crucible uh, a petri dish for me to look at what's happening when I do research I can come back and I can observe it I never use them as subjects I never use them to to give me any kind of uh, leg up but and I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable but when I do research and then I can identify specific things out of that research that are occurring around me on a daily and weekly basis with not only clients but family, it really invigorates my belief that, you know, we're in the right vein. We're moving in the right direction. So as I'm a parent in Life Code primarily, and I love what I do and I love the people I help.
0: Absolutely, and and this is really tied to the question I want to ask you tonight because we want to, we want to kind of investigate, we want to understand, we want to um, look at youth development tonight, we want to look at mentorship, we want to look at um, the improvements that we can use as far as strategies in schools, uh, that we can use in communities, that we can use in family settings, so I wanted to pull you back in tonight to kind of help us identify those several layers to help improve uh, just the awareness, the awareness um, uh, for some strategies related to the success of emotional intelligence, right? Uh, to help promote those skills uh, for the psychological well-being in adolescence. And so my question to you tonight, and, and I want you to take your time to unpack this because I, I know uh, Dr. Parks is gonna be ready and revved up to go. Uh, but my question for you, Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro is, What is the relationship between intelligence and psychological well-being for a child's happiness through their support systems?
1: I really love that question, Isaiah. When I was looking at it, I went back to some of my primary research, and then I came up with a sub-question that I wanted to add to the topic so that people get an understanding of where my head is and what I've seen in the field. And my sub-question is what is the relationship between social support systems, which we want to encourage, access and acquisition of knowledge, which is in the tree of education that all the teachers and parents will take part in, and how does that enhance pro-social outcomes for students from all groups or demographics? Because research shows us that, although there are some barriers for the socioeconomically challenged families and students, The same affect when you're comparing intelligence and psychological well-being, the same affect is across the board. There's virtually no difference uh, when you're taking a child who is deemed to be fairly intelligent and you start looking at how does that affect their happiness? How does that affect what they're doing? And how can we keep them on track without blowing them out of the water? So those questions are very, very important to look at one of the things that happens is parents and teachers know when they see a superstar they they think that they need to be hands-on they think they need to be really involved in guiding and mentoring but the reality is the top 10 percent maybe even the top 15 percent they're going to succeed they're going to move forward regardless of what we do with them intelligence wise success wise so we don't need to focus as much on building their intelligence level. They are there. What we have to focus on is their psychological well-being because that they're going to be isolated because of their differentiation. They are the stars. They're the superstars. So they're already up on a pedestal in front of their peers and their classmates. And so that creates a situation where they have to start feeling demeaning projections at, at a very young age. Things like when a parent or a teacher says, as smart as you are, I'm really disappointed in how this turned out. It puts a huge amount of psychological stress on the child that they shouldn't be dealing with because they're not adults. They're not ready for that level of stress. What they need is to be pointed out where the deficiency might be and then an encouraging uh, hand to take them to the path where they can grow we need to compartmentalize their intelligence we need to make sure that we let them know we know they're very intelligent we're not going to put undue expectations on them we're going to let them guide us down the path with them we're going to let the kid out sometimes we just have to let the kid out we have to let them function as a kid and then let the intelligence naturally take them where they're going children who are not in the top 15 percent as you progressively get lower and lower in the intelligence scale then you still you have to hybrid out you have to do a lot of working on how to get them to understand how do I acquire knowledge where's the access and acquisition of knowledge if they don't have innate intelligence to already know how to get where they're going we have to provide that for them that's our social support at their level each child is unique. We have to make sure that we hit the target in each level of intelligence as well as in the social demographics. So we have to look at how do we define happiness and more than that, how does the child define happiness? We have to be observers, we have to try to put them in a situation where they have social fitness. A child who is way ahead of other kids a, they're going to get bored very easily. They're going to be ostracized and isolated because they're a teacher's dad or they have this effect or that effect. They're hearing it in their ear all the time from the other kids. And they have to deal with those internal stresses. And so we need to back off our stress that we add, and we have to give them universal positive regard. We have to just really be willing to listen. What the research tells us And fairly recent research, uh, Gottfriedson in 2008 concluded that intelligence doesn't correlate with happiness. Subjective well-being, the stated well-being that a child says whether they're happy or not, doesn't come from intelligence. It comes from social fitness. It comes from whether they belong in the in-group and the expanded in-group that is their class or their school. There's a negative correlation. The higher the intelligence the less they feel they fit in. And when you tie that to expectation stress, now you get them self-isolating, self-excluding, believing because they don't fit in, they don't have to fit in. So then you start having a playoff of the self versus the social aspect. Do they want to be intelligent? Do they want to express their level of intelligence? Or do they want to hide their level of intelligence so that they can socially fit in? Those are choices children make that are a lot of times they're hidden from parents and teachers both. And that's something that we really, really need to be aware of. There's some attributes aligning with psychological well-being that are apparent. Aristotle defined well-being with a, a, a Greek term of eudaimonia. And that is uh, a life well-lived, as a loose translation. All those things tie into how the kids look at themselves and the world around them and the teachers and the parents of their interaction. Eudaimonia needs self-acceptance, needs mastery over your environment and that includes how to build positive relationships, how to continue growing either visibly or invisibly. Sometimes they hide their growth because they don't want to stifle the friendships that they have It's easier for the more intelligent kids to determine what kind of purpose they may have in life, but that is something that every child is going to face at some point. But more than anything else, we have to make sure that they understand their uniqueness. We have to give them their autonomy, because autonomy leads back to the cyclical effect of self-acceptance and allows them to have a very high level of psychological well-being, which allows them to perform extremely well in any environment.
0: Wow, that's so much to unpack. I'm not even trying to unpack all that tonight. Don't have enough time. I'm just going to pull some gems from the mini that you laid out for us tonight. It was like a smorgasbord in that short amount of time. Um, You talked about uh, compartmentalizing their intelligence. I love that. I'm going to come back to that. But then you also uh, talked about uh, redefining happiness and you talked about the levels of stress. You know, when you talk about levels, I think about layers, right? And so um, we have to get uh, students or adolescents to actively participate in community services. I-, I was hearing you say that, right? And that will give them more opportunities to make those positive connections that are more meaningful. Uh, for their their development stages or, or their learning experiences, right, and and that would help them to uh, the focus on not only uh, educational success but also psychological well-being. I love the way you put that. I'm trying to uh, kind of like synthesize uh, that weighty information you just gave us, uh, but I have to also pull. Um, or, or focus on the internal part that you mentioned and also external so those those internal and external a- environments that influence their perceptions right and because america well w- let's just say the world but uh, specifically united states and, and north america and, and south america as well uh, but these societies have have been wrestling uh for for a number of years with the negative effects of child development in those childhood stages or phases that uh that carry them on into adulthood and so then we see this um, in, in the adults where it be uh poor health decisions and health right i'm not going to go into all the different things about um health within you know education it affects education but mainly as far as this discussion tonight it affects their socialization skills so i like the way i don't have enough time to go into every gym that you you threw at us tonight uh or you drop but it, there was so much there was so much value in what you said tonight. I really want to pull from, uh, this is one of our first time guests here on the Impact Your Educational Leadership. I really want to pull from Dr. Bethany Hernandez-Parks. Uh, but uh, buddy, thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Parks, please say hello to the people again and tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing currently in the world today.
2: Hi, yes. Um, I want to say as well that but what you just shared, Buddy, uh, was so incredible. And I appreciate just hearing that from, from your research and your perspective. Um, I think it brings a lot to the table. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm Dr. Parks. I uh, currently work as an educational consultant, um, with my focus being on helping um, early childhood education centers. Uh, really in any aspect um, that they're needing help with, so such as offering trainings, um, looking at curriculum, looking at actual practices in the classroom to ultimately help reach their uh, performance goals um, and help them to offer the best education that they can to the young children and families that they serve. Um, I have, my background is in well, my educational background is i studied child development and adolescent development um, and my bachelor's and my master's degree and then uh, my doctorate i received an educational leadership uh, as well as with a concentration in educational psychology so education in general has always been a huge interest to me um, i feel like it's a great place to lay a foundation for a person um, that really sets the tone for them for the rest of their life and can potentially put them on the best trajectory possible. I truly love early childhood education because I really feel like it's such an amazing opportunity to get in on the ground floor, see the child uh, get in to understand their curiosity and um, work from there to help them develop, uh, like I said, to their full potential. I also love that you can work with the family so closely at that stage um, because they're really the first teacher so you really need them involved in order to make a great lasting educational impression and teachers that's a little bit about me
0: Uh, and we thank you for that you know when you were recommended uh, by uh, one of the uh, panelists on the podcast to come on to the show I immediately started doing research on you
2: uh-huh.
0: And, and I, uh-huh.
1: yeah,
0: because because the the panel the panelists that come on to this podcast are, are experts in the field, and so I I, ha, I have to do research right, and so as I was doing research, Absolutely. I I, st- I begin to, to notice um, your understanding about um, the the developmental challenges that adolescents are faced uh-huh. with. Uh, Across the different stages of their development, and we're talking about those contexts, we're talking about settings, we're talking about practices, Mm -hmm. right? And also, I noticed in your research that you have uh, you've you've looked at, you've studied uh, their different abilities and how different children are subjected uh, to different risk factors as well. And I also I also saw how uh, some of your research was focused on uh, a lot of it was focused on uh, school related activities, right And it was focused on uh, a society that is seemingly uncaring right or or Uh, They have a different measure of care depending on a a student's race, their gender, their sexual orientation, their languages, and just those other different uh, social stratifications, right? And so the question I want to ask you tonight, because I think it's aligned to your research, uh, Mm -hmm. and it's aligned to uh, the studies that uh, you support, and my question for you is what are researchers uh, and what are their suggestions about handling intelligence and psycho uh, and psychological well-being in adolescents developing during COVID nineteen So this is current research. What are they saying?
2: That's my question for you. Yeah, and this is actually kind of a, a piggyback on what um, Dr. Thornton was sharing with us, which I think is something that's really interesting and unique that's uh, coming out now and. Um, really exciting is Dr. Mary Helen Imarino Yang. Um, she's a leading neuroscientist in the field, and she's actually been looking a lot at how emotions are integral to learning, and how emotions, excuse me, emotions, culture, and learning all all work together to either support a child's trajectory or or can um, impede it. Right. So I think in relation to say COVID 19. Uh, things that are coming out right now uh, is really just understanding, for instance, where teens are, right? Like teens, for instance, peer relationships are a huge deal and part of that developmental period of time. The brains are um, really designed to feel rewarded when they socialize and in some ways are like more so than adults, they feel a happy feeling um, when socializing and spending time with friends really helps them to discover like identities and give them to move away from the family and um, ultimately into the larger world and being restricted from exploring that aspect of themselves in a way that uh, we deemed as normal has left a lot of teens feeling lonely and bored and it goes against essentially the messages of their brain's reward center that they're sending. So I first think we can uh, recognize the challenges adolescents are facing and, um, for example, kind of, kind of just address that they have had a break in routine, break in continuity of learning, and um, their, if they had healthcare issues, that looks different, as we all know, Missed significant life events. They might sound so trivial to an adult, but they were really sad about missing so-and-so's birthday, or maybe they missed a the graduation, or what have you, um, loss of security and and therefore safety. Um, so the leading factors, the research says that the leading factors that mitigate or buffer stress and can enhance resilience in adolescents are kind of listed in three specific categories, which is social connection, mindfulness, um, and then taking care of their physical body. So what, what adults should really be conscious of when dealing with adolescents during this time period is a couple of things. Um, The first thing that they can really be doing is checking in with the teens. Uh, Sometimes it seems that teens don't want to connect with a parent, a caregiver, or what have you. Um, The social aspect of their life seems so important, but they really are seeking connection with an adult. Maybe not in the same exact way they were when they were three, but they still need that foundation and, and support system, so making sure that they either have someone who's doing that, if that's like a parent isn't um, active in their life, or making sure as the parent you are checking in on 13 and making sure you just understand how they're doing. Um, I think it's important to recognize and address the fears and the stress that they have. But based on the current situation, whatever they may be. Um, And again, just really validating any grief that they have about (laughs) anything that has occurred. Um, And I think just really giving that some time and space uh, within the interaction of the family. Um, I think reinforcing and establishing routines is paramount. Um, That gives a child, any child really, even into adolescence, even an adult, I love my schedule, uh, <laughs> gives you a lot of security and some predictability. So when things seem so out of out of whack, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better term, you, they still have a sense of grounding. Um, so just making sure that there is something that they can fall back on and really helping the adolescents stay socially connected. So making sure they're seeing friends in some capacity that, like, the adult feels comfortable with, whether that's a Zoom call, whether that is, um, like, a FaceTime call, playing with a game, um, playing with a friend through a game, excuse me, <laughs> something of that, of that nature or, uh, you know, like, one-on-one interaction in some way is great because they really do need that, that connection. And uh, setting the tone, the adult has such an important role in setting the tone of how the child is understanding everything that's going on. That's not to say that the adult can't have feelings. Um, We as adults, you know, we still have to to deal with all these stressors as well, right? And uh, it's not great to just fall apart and not be able to cope in front of the child because then they'll just take those same approaches to dealing with these problems. Um, But it's also not great to just pretend everything's fine because sometimes it's not fine and that's okay. So the adult really needs to understand how important their role in modeling is and that the child's watching you. So if you fall apart, okay, great. How are we gonna work our way through these challenges that say COVID has put into place that is making our life hard, whether that's financial hardship, um, job loss, (laughs) just missed events, grief due to someone passing away, anything of that nature, anything that's difficult. Um, really, it's just important to understand how how big of a role the adult has on supporting mental health strategies for their adolescent child. And I think the other thing is don't forget joy. Like Even though times are tough, there's still ways to find joy um, in this space. Every day is a new opportunity to find something great around you um, but it does take it does take time to see it and if things look a little different uh, you still have to find a way to kind of make it fun especially for the child so knowing them and then coming up with creative options for them um, to have fun is important too and never forgetting to seek help the adult should really seek help if they think that their child needs it so There's a ton of changes happening at this time and the adolescents could really be overwhelmed due to stress um, or due to sadness and just so many changes in their own body, in their own life and then in the world around them. So just really keeping a close eye and then offering them support if necessary.
0: Dr. Price, thank you for bringing and adding so much value to this podcast. You mentioned something that was so powerful and I think, I think it's a perfect segue to the next question I have, too. But you mentioned the word trajectory, which is another word mm-hmm. for direction. And if we do not find the correct direction to take our adolescence uh, in or through okay. We're going to be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) And so we we need because right now we really don't have any experts in the field of COVID-19 because it's new. Right. We hadn't gone through this uh, pandemic before. So we need people like yourself and like uh, Dr. Buddy Thornton to be having these types of conversations, not just on this platform, but on every available platform out there because when it's time for those researchers, when it's time for those, those doctors, those counselors, those therapists to start gathering information, they're gonna be pulling from information like these platforms mm-hmm. to, uh, to, 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 to formulate strategies, to put together social support systems, to put together universal intervention techniques, to get our children to happiness to get our children to joy to get to teach our children to love again you know after um, everything has been destroyed to teach them to be resilient to teach them to begin to reform and rebuild so what you said tonight was so so powerful because if we can't get on the right road or the right path we're already in trouble and I think that's a perfect segue to my next question to uh, Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro. With that being said, my question for you, uh, Buddy, is emotional trauma within the intermediate family structure. How it affects and how can it be managed? How it affects them and how can they manage it? That's my question.
1: That's an excellent prompt, and I uh, fully have to agree with uh, uh, Dr. Bethany because, uh, you know, every child, every family, every student, everyone we come into contact with has to deal with unique vectors, and we need to be ready to understand that those unique vectors uh, can emerge uh, out of the blue. We have no way to predict what's going to happen when uh, a child, especially a child who's facing emotional trauma... they're going to react in certain situations but we can prepare ourselves for being good caregivers and good agents of pro-social behavior for them and give them the the hope that they need now before i say anything about any family environment i want to make sure everyone understands this is not prescriptive when i deal with families and i deal with conflict between parents and teens especially Every household is unique, every trauma is unique, every stated problem that a child focuses on can be something that I've dealt with 20, 30, 50 times, or it can be something that completely comes out of the blue. So you can't prescribe anything on a podcast, but you certainly can generalize some of the things that are very, very important to understand. Uh, The first thing is that uh, all children especially those between the ages of seven and 17, those who are already embedded in the education system, when they face emotional trauma in the family structure, which it it connotes that it's not coming from the school structure, they respond the same way adults do, but without any experience and without uh, softened emotions. They are raw, they're on the edge, Everything is brand new in their body, so every reaction they have is just like super steroid-laced. I'm gonna react this way and you know my emotions, my hormones are flying. This is who I am, this is what I'm gonna be. So they're gonna believe, because they see trauma at home, that they're irrelevant. Either they're irrelevant or they're a target. Or they're being weaponized by one parent against another, or possibly a caregiver against the parents, or a parent against a the teacher, they internalize those things, and they don't have the experience to think, uh, well, maybe you know it's not me. They always think it's me. They bring it inside the house. They say, "Oh, it's got to be me. What did I do to deserve this?" They don't have the ability to compartmentalize the way we need them to. So what happens when you have emotional trauma, is the first thing it does, it stifles curiosity. A child is faced with trauma, and they don't know where to go. They have no safety. So they have a hyper-engaged amygdala. You have two systems in your, your brain. One's channel A. That's your fight, your flight, your freeze response. And that's an irrational environment. It's driven by irrational thoughts. It's driven by... Why is this happening to me? How can I avoid this? I want to get away from this. I want to be somewhere else. And then we have channel B, which is the neural cortex, where we do all of our higher-level thinking. That's where we have a decision matrix. And these students, these children, they're just learning how to use that. And this is their rational environment that they are trying to find, and they don't have all the tools to find it on their own. So what ends up happening is teachers have to go out of their way to create a safe haven. A caregiver external to the house, recognizing there's trauma going on, they need to project empathy. They need to make sure the safe haven is combined with, I care about you, I love you as a human being, I want you to be happy, I want you to be uh, without fear, so I want to project everything I can to make you feel safe in my sphere of influence. And then the biggest key that a lot of adults, a lot of teachers, a lot of parents fail to do is they don't listen without judging, blaming, or shaming. They come to preconceived uh, notions of what's right or wrong for a child, and they have expectations built into their thinking process. And because they put everything out on the table foundationally with their expectations, The child starts to think, well, it's not about me anymore, it's about you. And so you damage their ability to focus. They're going to fear, and when they fear, they're going to be in trauma mode. I'm not going to learn, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to cooperate, because I just want to protect myself. So if you can get them beyond that by providing a safe haven where they actually you see the air going out of the tire. That's like, wow, you can see all that weight lifted off their shoulders, and they they start internalizing that you are their safe haven. And that can be, doesn't have to be personal, it doesn't have to get out of line, but it's certainly something that really high quality teachers provide in their environment. And that that is more important than anything else. We manage these children's emotions and build their emotional well-being by providing them a safe space and making them feel like, A, not only are they unique, but they're special.
0: That was brilliant. Dr. Dr. Bethany Hernandez-Parks, how, how are school leadership strategies aligned uh, to what Buddy just said? In other words, what are some of the school leadership strategies and solid foundations that have been uh, established to get more parental involvement in these different types of discussions? That's that's my question for you.
2: Yes, and to, again, to piggyback, um, Dr. Thornton was saying something that I thought was so important, which was basically the emotional trauma really does stifle the curiosity. So what has kind of been the role of schools and what I have seen them try to jump into is being that safe haven for students. It has been a challenge being that in so many ways, we're all still going through this process, right? And even when it first started, it was so new. So schools have different um, abilities to offer different supports. So you definitely see differences in how schools have been able to attack this issue and and support students. Um, But I think one thing that they have tried to do just across the board is just remembering that families are the true partners in their child's education. I had kind of mentioned earlier that like in early childhood, for instance, the family they're seen as the first teachers, that's so important. But as the child becomes an adolescent, the family is no less important to that child's education. There's still a huge uh, influence on, you know, really how that child will will perform. Um, so really making sure that the schools are supporting the families um, and really remembering from the school perspective that the parents are dealing with stressors and grief related to COVID as well. Um, so what I've seen is schools offering frequent communication with parents and making sure to offer that communication in as many options as they can provide um, to try to meet the needs of the parents. So still offering um, communications in various languages, but say, through email um, or, you know, the, the phone. Some schools have a phone line and having those recordings, making sure that all the new messages are still provided in the different language options um, just to make sure that the parents receive the messages from the teachers. Um, and I think something that schools have been trying to do is being open and honest about their progress and their goals for the year with the students. Um, there's been a lot of schools that even op- excuse me, offered options to the parents for, say, like online education throughout the whole year or hybrid option, you know, half online and then if, I live in California, so I'm speaking from California. So in California, I don't know you've heard, there's this peer system. And if um, the COVID cases went down, then on or in-person instruction was going to be offered. So in some cases, schools offered um, a hybrid hybrid attendance opportunity, which means like half of the instruction was online and then some of the instruction is in person. So um, things like that, just the school being honest and open with like what they can offer and what, what their current thoughts are. Um, another thing I think schools have done is making sure that they don't operate in a vacuum Uh, This is all so new, as I was saying. Um, We've never been through a pandemic, but that doesn't mean that schools and administrators have never faced challenges before. These are just um, obviously like a lot more challenges than, say, normal, Um, but really making sure to build community with you know, the other educators that they they have access to. So I've heard of superintendents tapping on to other superintendents to see, like, what's going on in your district? Oh, okay, maybe I can try to adopt this in mine. Or, you know, principals tapping on principals. And really just educators tapping on educators to try to see, like, how we can help, how we can be that safe space um, and, you know, support the parents to ultimately support the student. Um And then just building the community with the parents, which really will help, like I said, share the needs of the student and allow the teachers to um, share progress and concerns with the student in their online platform. I think that's um, something that's been really actively done. Teachers are working so hard right now um, to try as best they can to reach the parents in so many cases. and that's ultimately with the, the goal of making sure that the child is truly reached and positively supported. And then the other thing that I've seen schools really try to do is still to make uh, celebrations be celebrations and obviously they need the buy-in of the parents to have the participation, but for instance, still celebrating the wins of the students. So if there's an award ceremony, um, that it's a drive-by award ceremony, which obviously means that the uh, parents would have to be involved if, if that's what it is, but um, still making celebrations fun for the adolescents, so still recognizing their achievements or, or offering those options on Zoom or what have you, um, just so that the child gets their hard work celebrated during this time. Um, so I think the other last sorry, last thing was I've seen schools also offer uh, mental health resources to not just for not just the students but also offer uh, telephone lines and um, just names of organizations and offer that to parents because this is such a challenging and unprecedented time so you really want to make sure that the parent or caregiver is getting what they need so that the child can ultimately um, get the support that they need. But
0: they, me. And we thank you for that response. You know we're out of time, but before we go, uh, what are the takeaways for tonight? Who wants to go first?
1: Well, since uh, since that was such a fantastic uh, display of uh, the current situation, I want to piggyback off that a little bit, and that was uh, that was fantastic, uh, Dr. Fernandez. It was fantastic. Uh, I want to start cycle all the way back to the intelligence and psychological well-being situation, and I want to compare it to my upbringing versus today's situation. I was always uh, engaged uh, in doing the schoolwork. I was the youngest in my family, and all the other people in my family were much larger than I was. I was born premature, so I was very small, so I was picked on, not only for my intelligence, but for my size. And so I started looking for outlets, and luckily, there were some very, very powerful people, mentors, who took me under their wing, so to speak, and I got involved in uh, speech, drama, all the different club environments. I was allowed to leave the school campus and go do speaking to social uh, groups in the small town that I grew up in uh, to develop my speaking skills. And... It was a reflection of them doing as much to protect me from the bullying and the problems that are so prevalent even today that I was shielded from that in a lot of ways. But it's a reflection of what we need to actually do with today's kids. We need to look at each one of them as being unique and we need to understand what the problem each child has and what the needs are. And we need to facilitate even just one success at a time will go so far to bring them out of the stress and the pain that they've felt during COVID-19. It's just, it's really important that we understand that every student is unique and yes, there's millions of students, but you know what? Uh, We got to look at them one at a time, because if we don't, the ones we lose, we'll never get back.
0: Powerful as always, Dr. Parks, what's your takeaway?
2: Um, I am completely in agreement with uh, what Dr. Thornton just shared. Um, Even that ending line I thought was powerful. Um, You do need to look at each student as individual um, because each student is an individual and they come with their own unique and beautiful characteristics, right? And so really tapping into what what their strengths are, what their feelings are, what their Uh, you know circumstances are and and helping them um in whatever way that they need help with is is so um huge and I, i guess it just got me reflecting back in my personal life and i think during my own adolescence um i was someone who went to my my mom worked a lot and i went to after school programs often because uh, no one was home yet. Um, And so I had some specific mentors that really worked with me to, um, I don't know, on homework and things like that during that time. And just feeling that success when having that one-on-one time um, and just talking about, say, some stressors at school, um, things like that really definitely made me feel intrinsically motivated. and I definitely fed off of that and was positively supported um, through those opportunities. And I am just grateful that I was able to be put in a space such as that. Um, but let's say my mom was able to seek that out so that we did have other positive influences in our life, even though she couldn't always be there. Um, so just, you know, as educators and as advocates, remembering how important. You know your your interest and in curiosity to really tap into each child is um, it, it can make all the difference. So, just remembering that I think is huge.
0: And we're grateful for you, and we're grateful for this discussion uh, tonight. This was another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This was episode eighty. Our panelists tonight were. Uh, Dr. Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent pro and Dr. Bethany Hernandez-Parks. Good night.